Welcome to the Rare Faith Podcast, where the solution to every problem is only an idea away, and where the same activity with just a little more awareness always yields better results. Award-winning, best-selling author, Leslie Householder, brings some of her best information to this inspiring series of life-changing episodes that you won't want to miss. Show notes for this episode can be found at ararekindoffaith.com. I had just had my first baby, and I was kind of floating along in life, and it was like blah, like nothing. And I literally thought of nothing all day long, and I, except for my, my to-do list. I thought of my to-do list. I mean, what do you do when you have one baby? Does anybody remember what it's like to have one baby? <laughs> it's so boring, like I did nothing. So I had kind of like taken my whole vibrant life and set it aside to be a mom. And I was like in that motherhood place and it had sucked the life out of me. Anyway, at that moment, I was on a walk with my mom one day and she was like, hey, I read this book called The Jack Rabbit Factor and you told me to read it. And so she had this book and I read it and it was Leslie's book. And it totally changed the pathway of my whole life. It like totally changed the trajectory of my life. It changed our financial life, but it also changed my mind and heart and spirit. And because of that book, I started on this personal development journey. And I went to Arizona to do a training with her eight years ago. It was the first time I'd ever got up to speak in front of a group of people, and I was terrified. I have a picture of me doing it, and I was like, this. I think we have that on video. It's awesome. <laughs> oh my gosh, I need to see that. <laughs> oh my gosh, it was terrible. I was so scared to be with the people. I did not want attention. Anyway, my life completely changed after that. I am so grateful for Leslie. I'm so grateful that in the midst of her having seven kids and homeschooling her kids and all the work that that takes, she wrote books and she taught classes and she created courses and she took her passion and her knowledge and her understanding and she shared it with people and because of that it completely changed my life. I am so grateful that she took the time ever to do that and trying to balance all the things in her life. You guys know what it's like trying to balance all the things. And in the middle of all that, she created all of these things and it has impacted me hugely and I am so grateful for her. I'm so happy you get to listen to her right now. So let's give Leslie a round of applause. I didn't know she was going to be here. It was just really fun to come in and see her face. And my heart and my mind is full of about 4,572 things I want to share with you. And you probably have time for about 200. So I am just going to kind of trust that as we get into this, the right things are going to come out. I want to back up a little bit and kind of tell you what started my whole journey and why I do what I do. So when I married a million years ago, my husband and I decided that I wanted to be a stay-at-home mom. He wanted that for his kids. It was an agreement. This is how we were going to do our family. We had no idea how we were going to pull that off financially, but we thought, you know, if we just decide and we act on faith, then things will work out because we know that faith works, right? I was just barely 20. My husband was just barely off of the mission for the church, and a friend had told us that if you just have $1,000 a month between the two of you, you could probably pull it off. 
And this was not in the 1950s, you know? And so that was the goal, okay, at least 1,000 or 1,200. I think we were making about 1,200 between the two of us when we started, and trying to go to school, and didn't feel like we should delay a family, so baby number one is on its way. And I'm a little bit stressing it, how this is going to work, because we're already bouncing checks, and we don't even have the baby yet. So that year, I'm getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and my radar is up looking for, how are we going to do this? Looking for better jobs. Um, we were in Provo, Utah, and trying to find a job that's better than just your typical college student kind of job. I don't know. They're probably there, but I wasn't seeing them. And we met someone in the grocery store, a young man who was probably 18, maybe? I don't know how old he was. And I don't know how we got started talking to him, but mentioned that we were looking for better work. And he said, oh, well, I've got something that might help. I'm like, okay, well, what's that? He came over to our house, and he showed us a presentation that was a home-based business. And we're like, this is it. This is our ticket. And so we jumped in, and we started learning how to build this home-based business while working and going to school and being pregnant. And when I am pregnant, I mean, I know some things about nutrition that I didn't know when I was having my children, but I am like a witch. I am just, it's like Jekyll and Hyde. My husband could tell when I was pregnant before I even thought I might be. He's like, you're pregnant. You know? I'm like, no, I'm not. And I want to bite his head off. He's like, you're pregnant. So we're trying to work this home-based business. And... Every month they had these meetings that would teach us about personal development, mindset, training, business development, this kind of thing, just little seminars. We started going to those, and each one gave us little nuggets that said, here's how you can set a goal more effectively. Here's how you can do a presentation more professionally. Here's how you can posture up so that people respect you. Here's how you can dress better. All these things, just trying to bring us from these college kids that know really nothing about success to someone who can be, uh, you know, our big goal was $2,000 a month. We'd be retired if we could get that kind of money, you know? So we started going to these, and each one gave us something, and it kept us coming back. But it turned out, we did this for like seven years, and seven years is a long time hoping for that $2,000 a month. You know, we'd have a good month, and that was just a good month. And then it was back to $30 paycheck that next month or whatever. And it was just really kind of hard on the hope factor, right, to keep hoping. And I finally got to a point where I'm like, honey, I can't do this anymore. We were getting enough good stuff from these events. They were bringing in speakers. You know what it's like to listen to a speaker that empowers you, that gives you a new way of looking at something, gives you hope, gives you something. And so that's what kept us going. But, you know, okay, this next event's in Florida. All right, we've got to be in Florida. How are we going to do that? We'll find a way. And so we would sit and shop. I remember shopping. This was back before the Internet. But we were shopping for the cheapest plane ticket from, where were we living at the time? I think we were in Arizona. From Arizona to Florida cheapest you can go. Anybody know where I'm going with this? We saw more of the country on a cheap flight than had we just paid at four stops, four legs, 
four legs to save the money. And it took us all day long. But we got there, and our plan was to sleep in the rental car through the weekend just to save some money. And we get there, and our credit card didn't have room for the rental car. You know, it has to have 500 on there. So we're like, awesome. We have a can of corn in our backpack, and we were going to sleep in the car, and we don't have a car to sleep in. But we were there to get the information. That's how hungry we were for knowledge that we knew would help us. And the reason, the reason it kept us going is because we were watching people all around us, hundreds, thousands of people that were in this organization who were growing, moving on, and making money, and getting their the moms home from work, and retiring early, and being full-time moms and dads. And I'm like, what is wrong with us? We're doing all the same things that they're doing, but we're, we're, we're just sitting here like nothing is happening. And thought there must be something wrong with the way we think. So we kept going, kept going. We ended up getting an emergency limit increase on the card to get the car to sleep in through the weekend. That was just that one experience. But along comes another seminar, and this one is going to be in Utah. And I'm like, honey, I can't do this anymore. I can't keep going and getting hope and belief that something's going to change to come home and two weeks later have things be no different. We've been doing this for a long time. And he's like, honey, whatever you want to do. I'm like, and deep inside I knew I was supposed to be there. I knew I had to go because I hadn't had the answer yet that I'd been looking for. We were seeking so hard. And, of course, our relationship is struggling. And you go through this long enough and the finances are tight long enough and we just, hard to put words to it, but I remember, and I've told this many, many times, that my mindset was so wrapped up in stress and fear and worry and constantly wondering, how are we going to make this next month work? I wasn't, let's see, was I home at this point? After we got married and had the baby, I stayed home for a year because that was, we were going to operate on faith. And that year, we kind of fell behind, got into debt, and realized we can't just do this. We have to plan for it. We have to make it work. And so I started working, and that was really hard while I have one baby and then two babies, and I'm still working, and um, it was heartbreaking to me. And I know that you all homeschool, you know how hard that would be to leave your kids when you want to not just be home with them, you want to be their caregiver. So I told my husband, all right, I will go to this last one. But if something big doesn't change here, I'm done. I'm just going to have to figure out how to be happy with life the way it is. At this time, we were living in a little fourplex in a not great part of town um, with cigarette smoke coming through the outlets in the wall and my two little babies with me. I remember coming outside one day being so stressed about our situation my broom had been broken in half by a neighbor kid, and that was one of those last straws. I called the police. I mean, this is, this is where my mentality was. And what made it worse is looking at everybody else around me. I'm like, how do they have a camcorder? How do they have something to capture the moments with their kids? I can't afford that. How do they have a car that starts in the morning? How do they, you know, how is everybody doing this? Why, why are we so different? Why are we so different? So... This event in Utah, I knew deep down I had to be there. And I'm like, oh, all right, fine, I'll go. So 
So we spent the money, got to Utah, and it was a three-day event, no, two-day event, I think. And it was in the big the event center. It holds thousands of people, right? It's big. And it was full. And the speaker that they brought in was Bob Proctor. And uh, honestly, I was kind of distracted. I was spending more time visiting with my friends and not really paying attention because he wasn't the really exciting speaker. He was kind of really quiet. And normally in these events, they bring in the Zig Ziglar and the, the big loud people with fireworks and whatnot. But he wasn't that. And the whole event, I got through it. I can't tell you what I heard because I really wasn't paying attention. He didn't catch my attention. But at the end, everybody was in a buzz like, oh my word, can you believe that? And they were all talking like this. And I've been to events for seven years and had never seen an audience react the way they were reacting to Bob Proctor. And I'm like, this is going to be my last one and I miss it? <laughs> what I miss? And I turned to my husband and said, well, what do you say? <laughs> and he's like, you just spent two hours explaining some things. And I'm like, I, you, can't, you can't just convey that to me. I'm like, oh, man, I missed it. <sighs> you know, I thought, oh, well, I guess I just missed it. So we come home. And about two months later, people are still talking about that event. I'm like, oh, you know, maybe that was the one that was going to change my life. <laughs> and uh, they invited him back, which is interesting because this organization never invited the same person back twice. Not that I had seen. They brought him back. But instead of giving him two hours, they give him all three days. And they're like, take our audience and just teach them. And I'm like, honey, we are going to go to this one. We are going to be in the front seat, and we are going to be ready. You know, we are not going to miss a scene. And so we went, and we're listening, and we're taking notes, and we are hungry, and we are listening. And he shares a diagram that I now call the Stickman presentation, which I'm going to tell you where you can watch that. I later trained with him to facilitate his programs, and I have a video of me teaching this little piece that he shared with us that day. And as we're watching this, about halfway through, my husband and I, our mouths drop open. We look at each other and we're like, that's all it is? The lights went on and we're like, I get it. And it is so simple. And we went home and in three months tripled our income. And what's interesting is we didn't triple our income in that business. We found an opportunity that tripled our income that was outside of that. And what one thing I learned through that event was that the principles are true and can be applied to any endeavor. And that was an epiphany for me because we'd been part of this organization believing that this was the only way that we could make the kind of money that these people around us were making is to be selling this product and selling this opportunity. And when he came and taught principles, we're like, you know, I don't love selling this, but we could use these principles over here doing this thing that we do love. And so that made a big difference. It made such a difference, and things started changing for us so rapidly. And after having suffered for seven years, and suddenly the lid comes off and things change. As I was training with Bob Proctor to teach his program, which, by the way, I will tell you how that happened. So we tripled our income, and about six months later, he put out an invitation. This was before the Internet still. I can't believe I can say that. <laughs> um, but we got a letter in the mail big letter explaining, you know, have you ever thought about teaching what you've learned? And I'm like, oh, I want to do it. And so I went and trained with him. One thing he said was, 
I don't usually get invited back to an organization because every time I'm invited into an organization like that, there's a huge exodus. <laughs> because people realize that they can go make whatever they want happen, whether in the organization or out of it. It just sets them free to use the principles to do something that they want to do. And so most of the time, people don't invite me back because I create exoduses out of their organization. And he says, they should be thanking me instead of frustrated because I'm getting rid of their dead wood, making a space for the right people to come, and they can use those principles that they love it so much to grow their business. And I just thought that was really interesting because truth sets us free. So I trained with him to teach his programs, and at the time I had five children, one on the way. My husband had gotten this better opportunity, but the opportunity was two and a half hours away, so he had a long commute. Some days he would drive it there and back in the same day. Some weeks he would stay down during the week and come home. And so while we had this breakthrough, it wasn't quite yet the ideal life, right? We wanted to have more family time. And so I thought, well, I want to teach what I've learned. And I was teaching these principles, I was doing seminars, but because of the busyness of family life and everything, and at the time I wasn't homeschooling yet, but it's still a lot on my plate, not having my husband around very much. I felt guilty not sharing, because in my mind's eye, I could see other families who were still suffering what we had been suffering. And I thought, well, I'll write a book, and let that be my seminar. Someone asked the musician Bono, why do you write music? And he's like, so I can sleep? And I could relate to that. I could relate to that because it was inside of me, it needed to get out so that I wouldn't feel guilty just only being the one beneficiary of this information. And primarily, I was really on fire about wanting to share the principles with those who shared my background in my upbringing, and, and so I got to work. And actually, at the same time all this was going on, I was trying to forgive something that had happened a situation outside of our family that was really hard and I was trying to forgive. So in trying to get rid of these feelings of anger and upset, I was looking for insight. I had been studying my scriptures, I'd been listening to general conference talks, I had been counseling with my leaders and just looking for relief, wanting to get rid of these feelings and couldn't shake them. And so the internet was new now. We fast forward, now we have an internet. And I thought, well, maybe I should Google it. I don't know if Google was around. Maybe I should search it. Yahoo, search Yahoo. <laughs> so I thought, maybe I should search the internet. But there was a piece of me that was really afraid of doing that because I had heard that there's bad stuff on the internet and I just didn't want to go there. And uh, I thought, well, what can I search for to make sure I only get safe things back? And I thought, uh, forgiveness. Um, Christian, um, and I'm looking, so I, I do the search, and this website pops up called SheLovesGod.com. I'm like, this looks safe, and I looked down, and there was a Greg Olson painting there, I'm like, oh, okay, and at the bottom it said CES Consultant. Does that mean anything to anyone? What does CES sound like? Yeah, I found out later it's not that, it was something else, but that was enough for me to feel safe. <laughs> I honestly don't know what that stands for. It's Marnie's site. She'll have to tell us. So I'm there. I'm reading some articles there and enjoying the website. I get on their mailing list, get her newsletter, and at one point I get her newsletter and it had a message on forgiveness. I'm like, yes, can I answer? And I read through it and I'm like, oh, I know all this stuff. I've heard all this stuff. I already know all this stuff. 
and I'm grasping. And so I replied to that letter and I said, I know you're probably not going to answer or whatever I said. And said, but I would love to run something past you. I'm having a real hard time with this forgiveness thing. And she replied and, and we got talking a little bit. She let me share the story with her. And she's like, whoa, yeah, I can see why that's so hard. And she said, well, you probably figured out that the reason I wrote this article on forgiveness is because I'm struggling to forgive someone. I'm like, oh, hadn't even crossed my mind. You know, I just thought she was being an expert. And uh, I said, well, what went on? What happened? And she, she was in a marriage that they'd just gotten out of debt, and then her husband racked up all the credit cards again, and she was discouraged by that. And I said, well, finance, I can help you with the money thing, because I just had this breakthrough over here, applying the principles that we'd learned. So we started communicating back and forth. She's from Georgia, and here I was in California at this time, and I'm sending her stuff in the mail, and we're going back and forth, and her website at the time was making $2,000 a month. The next month it went to $4,000, the month after that it was $8,000, and it just kept growing, and she's like, this is amazing, and it's so simple, and I, don't worry, I'm going to share what these principles are. <laughs> She said, this is so powerful, I need you to teach this to my readers. And I said, well, how do I do that? And she says, I want you to write one article per week on each of these ideas that you've been teaching me. And I'm like, okay, I can do that. So I spent each week just really expounding on each one of these principles, sending it to her, and then she sent it out in her newsletter. And then comes October of that year, and she says, oh, I'm hosting an online women's conference. I want you to be a speaker. I'm like, what is that? You know, she says it's a teleclass. You get on the phone and you teach us. I'm like, wow, that's weird. You know, I've never heard of such a thing. So don't worry, I'll get you set up. And so that day I call in to this line that she had set up and other people, it was a group conference call and I'm just kind of teaching. And it was the weirdest thing, but it was so cool because I could do it from my home. But she did say before the conference started, she's like, oh, wait a minute. After people hear you, they're going to want a website to go to. You, you need a website. And I'm like, okay. And she says, let me throw one together. So she threw a website together for me. And she's like, all right, here. And, and then she taught me how to change it up, which was, she was having me go into the code. I was doing code. It was years before I found out there was such thing as a whizzy wig, like a what you see is what you get editor, where you can just move things. I'm in the code, and all the while I've got all these kids consumed with this project. So she got that going, and then, long story short, that series of articles became my first book. And that book is called Hidden Treasures, Heaven's Astonishing Help with Your Money Matters. And that book was an e-book for two years, meaning it was just a digital copy that people could buy for $10 and download. But then I realized, okay, that book is kind of needy. I'm not sure everybody's ready to read what's in this because for some people it might be kind of way out there or woo-woo or something. And so I need to write a book that's just more fun, that's a, a story that helps prepare people's minds for hidden treasures. And that's where the Jackrabbit Factor came from. The Jackrabbit Factor is a story about a couple who are at the end of their financial rope. And the, the story begins, they're having an argument about bills. He feels defeated because he's not being a good provider, and she's angry because this isn't what she signed up for. So he just leaves the house and goes back into the woods behind his home. Well, she starts worrying about, well, how depressed is he? You know, do I need to worry about him 
committing suicide, what she's just worried. She's all wrapped up in worry. And so the book is all about his journey, where he goes and what he learns, and her journey trying to find him. And simultaneously, they have to learn the same set of principles, number one, for him to find out what he needs to be able to provide for the family better, and her in order to find him. The principles are the same for success, no matter how you're applying them. And so it's fun watching them learn these things through their own experiences. And my goal for that book was to create an experience so that a reader would be able to just get lost in the story and have these ideas come out of their head and into their heart. And I did it that way because those seven years, we were hearing the principles for seven years. There is nothing new in the book and nothing new that Bob Proctor shared with us that we hadn't been hearing for seven years already. Dream big. Picture what you want. Believe. Dream. Yeah, 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 but what do I do? And it was the way he explained it that made me realize, oh, so I should picture what I want. Oh, so I should imagine what that's going to feel like once it's been accomplished. Now I know why. And now I'm going to do it because I understand why. And I'm going to do it with intention. And I'm going to do it knowing that something is changing in my world because I just did it that day. It's powerful. It's also very simple. And it eludes most people. And you really only get it when you need it. It's funny because I love teaching what I've learned. And I love meeting with people who appreciate the information. But I have found that I don't just share it everywhere all the time anymore. I share it where I see someone who's hungry. I share it where I see someone who really wants it. Because otherwise, I'm just saying, picture what you want, dream big. And they're like, yeah, yeah, I got it. What do I do, though? And that's the way it's me. So we got to a place where we were ready to move back from California to Arizona, where my husband was from, and where I wanted to live with the extended family down there. And actually, we had seen these principles work first with our income, and then with little experiences after that that proved to us that they are true principles that can be repeated intentionally. One of my first experiments was I needed a headboard for one of the rooms in our house that to make it feel more like a home, I wanted this headboard. It was going to be big and wooden and chunky, and I looked at what they cost in there, several hundred dollars for the kind I wanted, and we didn't have that, but we knew that didn't matter anymore. It didn't matter what you do or don't have. It doesn't matter what you do or don't have. It begins with seeing what you intend in your mind's eye and imagine how it's going to feel to have that and then getting to work. And what happens is you've got unseen help that helps put that together. So this experiment, I set the goal the way I've been taught and then I went about life. And one day I'm going into town and coming up on a hill, I get to this intersection where I could go straight or I could turn left and I would end up at the same place. And normally I, I go straight, but today I had to thought go left and I thought, okay, so I went left and it really wasn't conscious that I just turned left. I go down the hill and up this little bend and off to the side of the road was this big chunky headboard and footboard out to the trash. I'm like, I pull over and I run up to the door and I knock on the door and this lady answers. I said, are you getting rid of that? And she goes, yeah. You know, and I think she was worried that the trash wouldn't pick it up because it's so big. And I'm like, can I have it? She goes, sure. 
I threw my arms around her. I was so excited. And it wasn't because I cared that much about a chunky headboard. It was because it worked. I'm like, man, if I can do that with a chunky headboard, what can I do with my life? What can I do with my life? I have so many stories in the Hidden Treasures book. Another one, I taught my son. He was eight years old, and he really, really wanted some Legos. You know, the expensive kind, the $50 per box kind. <laughs> and uh, there were several that he was interested in. And I'm like, oh, I cannot justify $50 for a little box of Legos. But I didn't want to discourage him because I just learned these principles. I'm like, honey, here's what you do. And I taught him what to do, and he... He set the intention and he put it on the, the fridge with how to help him remember what he was intending. And it wasn't long after that. We were shopping the eBay auction, thinking maybe this is how it'll happen for him. We'll find a really great deal. And uh, one day my husband's at work and a coworker comes up to him and she says, Hey, my son's done with his Legos. Could you use some? And he's like, Actually? <laughs> yes, you know. And she's like, Great. And so she went back to her family, and all the extended family gathered all their Legos that they weren't using anymore either. And by the time they got to us, it was probably about $2,000 worth of Legos in a trunk this wide, this deep, and this tall. And it had all the booklets. And we're like, Oh. So it was close to Christmas, and we put them all in boxes that we could wrap, and it worked out to be about three or four boxes, put them under the tree, and we're just like, well, this wasn't even us buying it, you know? <laughs> Honestly, when he had set this goal, in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, Heavenly Father, please bless this child's faith, because I was struggling, you know? But he knew what he needed to do. And so he opens it, and he's like, oh, he was so excited. And then he opens the second one, he's like, oh. And he opens the third, and he falls on the floor. <laughs> and he's just like prone like this. And it just taught him what's possible. And he is now 26 years old. And I'm watching him use these principles right now. He is putting on a conference called the Healing of America Conference based on um, the book by Cleon Skousen. And he's got a big vision for this. He's bringing in Eddie Clare from America's Got Talent. He's got politicians coming to speak. This is his first conference he's putting on because he sees it and he feels it and it's bigger than him. And I am convinced that there is more good that God wants done than there are people willing to be facilitators for those projects. And so as we learn this faith, and I call it rare faith, it's rare faith because of a quote by Boyd K. Packer who said, there are two kinds of faith, and I'm going to summarize, I won't say it perfectly. He says, there are two kinds of faith. One operates ordinarily in our daily life. It, we know that the sun will rise because it always has. But there is another kind of faith, rare indeed. It is the kind of faith that causes things to happen. It is worthy and unyielding, and it has great effect. It comes with great effort. I can't remember the rest. So now when I talk about unseen help in accomplishing our goals or these serendipitous things happening, it's rare faith. It's having that rare kind of faith that causes things to happen. I used to pray, Heavenly Father, please help us. We are so desperate. The car won't start. We need this money for bills. We're overdrawn again. Please help us. I don't even know. I don't even know what to pray for. Just help help, desperately for help. All the while I'm picturing the mess that's going to happen at the end of the month if something doesn't change. All right? And all the while, he's up there like, I've got everything you need. Just waiting for you to get it right. Just 
just wait. And these principles taught me how to get it right. And how to get it right means see it done. See the end as you intend. See it done. Well, what does that mean, see it done? It means close your eyes and imagine what it looks like on the other side of it being accomplished. In my son's case, he's picturing himself having these Legos and playing with them. and He's involving all the senses that he possibly can to ask the question, what's it going to feel like when? What's that going to feel like? I knew very well what it felt like to be stressed. I knew what it felt like very well to be stressed. I had a really good habit of that. So it was really, really hard once I understood that this is what needed to happen to stop and ask myself, what does it look like when we are fine? What does that look like when our bills are paid? What are we doing when finances are not a stress anymore? That's work to create that image. It's work. It is work. But it's easier than what we've been doing. And so it's imagining it as though it's already happened. And then it's answering the question, how is that going to feel? And you answer that question with a feeling, not with words. And in order to get that feeling, you have to imagine it long enough for your subconscious mind to think it's actually happening. Kind of like when you're watching a movie, if you're really into the movie, we were just watching a movie on the way. And we actually weren't watching the whole movie, we're just watching the end, because we both knew the movie and we wanted to see the end again. So I'm driving, you know. And uh, she's holding it up and we're watching it. And I am in tears because I love this movie and I love how it ended and it was so touching. And I'm crying. Okay, these are actors on a screen, a replay, not even going on right now. And I am bawling because I am emotionally connected with the experience, right? My subconscious mind didn't know that that wasn't happening right now. It didn't know. It can't tell the difference between an experience that is real and one that's being imagined or, or watched on the screen. You know, if you're watching a scary movie and your heart starts thumping, or if you're like my husband, he's like, <laughs> you know, and I have to stop his leg from dancing. It's because we have physiological responses when our subconscious mind thinks something is happening. It's upping the adrenaline so that we can escape the monster. We don't need the adrenaline. We don't need it. But we've allowed ourselves to take in an image on the screen of our mind and allow ourselves to imagine what would it feel if we were really being chased by Godzilla, right? We're allowing ourselves to feel it. And our body changes when we do. There is one of the laws that I'll share with you called the law of vibration. The law of vibration just is based on the premise that everything in the world is vibrating. That this window on a molecular level has atoms and molecules bumping around. Right? And that we are also vibrating, our body, on a cellular level, molecular level. There's space in between our atoms and molecules and there's vibrating going on. doesn't have to be weird. You know what I'm talking about because if you go into a room and someone is angry, they don't have to say that they're angry for you to feel it, right? Because of the way they are emanating energy. That's all we're talking about. A feeling is nothing more than a conscious awareness of a particular vibration. 
So, with the law of vibration, when we picture it on the screen of our mind as done, and we allow ourselves to feel what we expect to feel when it is, we change the energy that's coming off of us. We change our vibration. And our vibration is going to resonate with things in our environment, with other people in our circle that happen to be on the same frequency, if you will, in a harmonious way. So this is just one concept that made me understand why I need to picture it and why I needed to feel it. Because I was trying to do something, I was trying to change the energy that was coming off of me. Here's an example of how this works. Someone goes in for a job interview. All the while they're thinking, I have been out of work for two years, or I've been out of work for two months, whatever it is, and nobody will hire me. And every time I think I've got an opportunity, it falls through my fingers. Or like us, we've been doing everything we're supposed to do for seven years and nothing's working. All the while imagining how bad things are and feeling upset about how things are. So what do you think people were feeling when we would go show them the presentation? They're feeling it. We could be smiling, we could be all polished, we could be all suited up and smiling and saying all the right words, but they're feeling this. And it's that simple. To change how you show up. To change how you show up. So with this job interview idea, you go into this interview saying all the right answers and smiling, you've got the right handshake, but you've got this fear inside they're going to pick up on that. They might not be conscious of what they're picking up on, but they're going to see incongruency. They're going to see this picture, and they're going to feel something different, and it's not going to settle right with them. So instead, before you go into the interview, you imagine yourself coming home from the interview, calling your spouse on the phone and saying, oh my word, you won't believe it. They were so excited to hire me. You imagine that phone call, or you imagine what you're going to say you're going to call your mom or, or whatever. And this is something you can teach your kids as they grow older. So you see it as though it's done. You feel it as though it's happened. And then you go in with a smile on your face. And you have just changed your vibration to match what they're looking for. You see how it may or may not be the right opportunity for you, but this is how you make sure you're not the limiting factor. Is this making sense? Yeah. So it's funny because as I'm teaching my son this, I'm explaining to him that these Legos he wants are on a certain vibration. And it's his job to match it so that they will become a natural part of his world. And how he matches this Lego thing is by seeing himself playing with it and being so excited and so grateful. To be grateful before it's happened is faith. So I walked him through that exercise. I helped him imagine what it's going to be like to be playing with the Legos. And imagine how you're going to feel and that gratitude. And I can't say for sure because it's been so long ago, but I'm pretty sure I watched him with his eyes closed get a smile on his face. And once you see that happen, you know it's landed. And it's changed him. And then I'm like, now, just don't worry about it. Go about your life. Go about finding ways where you might be able to earn money for them. Because you don't know how it's going to come. It might come through an opportunity that allows him to earn the money to get it. In this case, it didn't have to be that way, but it might be. Right? So, fast 
forward. I am teaching classes on this now, and we are moving to Arizona, or we were, we wanted to move to Arizona. We decided, man, we can really have whatever we want here, and we feel like it's right for us to be in Arizona. What are we waiting for? Let's just make it happen. So we use these principles, and we're like, we're going to just act as though and get moving. And actually, we realized that for him to drive to work two and a half hours away was a longer commute than if he were to just fly home an hour away to Arizona. So we were just going to move the family and let him commute by plane back when Southwest was cheap. Like $39 each way or something. And that was worth it. But long story short, we end up in Arizona. And while I had been living in California, I met a woman who was homeschooling her nine children. And I was so amazed and impressed with what she was doing and intrigued because I thought, what kind of freedom could come with just being responsible for our own children's education? It's interesting, though, because after we moved to Arizona, the kids are in public school, and I'm writing these books, and we're doing events, and turns out that it got a little bit crazy when my oldest two entered junior high, and they each had seven teachers, six or seven teachers, and then the kids in the grade school all had their teachers, and I am answering to a lot of teachers, and I realize I am not that organized. <laughs> this is really hard to keep track of what all their teachers expect. That's like having not just two masters, but I calculated it once, and if I had kept them in, there would have come a point where there would have been at least 49 teachers to keep track of. <laughs> and I'm like, I am not that smart. And so I decided, I actually read the book, Thomas Jefferson Education. This had been 10 years that I'd been thinking about homeschooling but never had the courage. 10 years is a long time when you're raising a family because they grow, right? So by the time I decided to try it, the thing that inspired me, especially from that book, was the idea that every child has an innate desire to learn everything that they will need to know to fulfill their life mission. And by this time, I had kind of been really wrapped up in this personal development information to uh, be inspired that we all have a mission to fulfill. It may be big, it may be small, but we are here to do something. And that if I could just help my kids figure out what they love, help them to learn how to love learning, if that was my only goal, is to help them love learning, then I know that as they grow, they would ultimately be inclined to want to learn the things that they will need to fulfill their mission. But I didn't have the guts to just jump in. So I decided to pick the one child I knew I couldn't ruin <laughs> and pull her out. She was in second grade. You all know what I'm talking about, right? You all have that one child. She was in second grade at the time, and I thought, okay, she will be my experiment. So I pulled her out, and I didn't have the guts to do my own thing yet, so I contacted the district. They had this distance learning program, and I thought, this will at least help me stay on track with all the other kids in school, so in case it's a failure, I can put her back in, and she won't be too far damaged. But I had also heard that you can accomplish the same amount of learning in a very short period of time when you're free to do it in your home. So I got the materials, a stack of books and materials, and brought it home, and she, we just looked 
for the stuff that interested her first. Remember, because I'm trying to go on this idea that just do the things that are interesting for them. And we just had a good time those first four months. We did baking, we did math in the kitchen, we just did fun stuff that was enjoyable and very organic. And the online stuff that their program provided were games and that was fun too. But come January, I thought, ah, you know what? We're coming down on the home stretch. Standardized testing is coming soon. Kaylee, we probably ought to open these books and see what we should have been doing the last four months and get caught up. And I opened the books and I'm looking at this and they literally had every day a six hour lesson plan. And I'm like, oh, oh no. And I panicked. I'm like, oh, we are so behind. We're never going to get caught up because it would literally take six hours to go through everything and it was gathering materials for this one lesson and da 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 da. And I'm like, I am, I am in trouble. So I called the district and I said, I think I made a big mistake. I don't know what to do. I am so behind. And she's like, calm down, honey, calm down, calm down. She says, don't worry. Just start where you are. She'll get it all again next year. <laughs> and I thought, really? You mean I can blow off six months of the public school system and they're not even worried? When they're enrolled, you can't go nine days without a nasty gram and a police visit, <laughs> at least in Arizona. And so that just kind of snapped me out of it. Snapped me out of thinking they had something that I needed. And I realized, you know what? We can do our own thing. And so the next year I pulled more kids out, asked who wanted to, you know, pulled a few more out, and we just did our own thing with the idea that I was going to let them figure out what they wanted to learn and just support those interests. For the first two months, it was a lot of complaining and worry. Mom, what are we learning today? What should we do? You know, what are you going to teach us? And I'd even gotten the desks and the chalkboard, you know, the, the board and just different things to help me be a teacher at home. That was a waste of money. But it took about two months for them to stop worrying and nagging me about what are we going to do today? What are you going to teach us today? And I knew we had turned a corner when instead of that, I heard laughter outside and they were building something together. And to give them ownership of their own learning and create their own environment. And from then on, we had just a good time, which was actually, I don't know if you can say this is a selfish thing, but I pulled them out of school so that I could work on my books and stuff and not have to answer to teachers why we didn't do anything that day. <laughs> but what was interesting is they would come with me to my events and work the tables. And they were learning how to take a passion and bring it to the world. And I thought, maybe they're not learning X, Y, and Z, but they're learning life principles. And I remember, there, you know, it's an ebb and flow. There were some times where it felt like, oh, we are falling apart, and this is looking really messy, and I don't think they're learning anything, and I think we are super dysfunctional, and all these concerns. And I remember at one point when I was really really worked up about this, I asked my husband to pray. And in that prayer, he said some things that I felt like were not his natural vocabulary, and it brought me peace. And that was, 
assurance that my children are being tutored. They are being tutored. And when he said that, what came to mind was unseen help that I remember being a child and having a lot of quiet time to myself because I was the youngest and remembering some of the thoughts that I had back then that made me wonder about things, that made me curious about things. Just letting my thoughts wander and, and daydream and imagine what it's going to be like to be a mom and when he offered that prayer, I got a glimpse that they each have this life mission that they are here to fulfill and that there is unseen help prompting them to be curious, to think about things. I can look back and remember being 12 and thinking, I want to be a speaker one day. I remember being probably seven and trying to walk on water at the Sarah Pool in Orem. <laughs> I thought if I just had enough faith, because I was intrigued with faith, I was intrigued with, can my thoughts have an effect on my environment? At seven, probably, somewhere in there. Your children are being tutored to prepare them for their future. It took a huge load off my shoulders to realize it's not all up to me. My job is to create an environment, but God knows better than I do what they need. God knows better than I do what their purpose is going to be. God knows better than I do the skills that they're going to need to face this challenge that will be at their feet at age 24, whatever. He knows all of that, and I don't. If I can help them love learning, if I can help them have faith, if I can help them have time where they have think time, it's like me turning them over to God and saying, here's a quiet place for you to speak to them directly, whether or not they know that's happening. I believe it's happening. I spend time imagining it happening and feeling what I think it would feel like to know it's happening. So, funny story, as we were doing these events, I had my kindergarten daughter, age daughter, she really wanted to go to real school. She just was fixated on having a real school experience. And I'm like, that's fine. So I put her in kindergarten. Most of the rest were at home. But we kept pulling her out to go to events and, and travel and stuff. And so I'd go to the office and, and I'd be like, all right, so just so you know, Bethany's going to be gone again this weekend. And they're like, well, have you had a visit from the police officer? I'm like, what? Well, she's been absent a lot. Um, have you had a visit from the police officer? I'm like, no, but that's why I'm here, to get it excused so to avoid the police officer visit. I'm just here to give me whatever homework she needs to take with her so that we can just have this excuse. And they're like, well, you know, we can give you the homework and stuff, but you're still going to get a visit. And I'm like, well, how do I avoid that? And they're like, well, call the district truancy officer, my kindergartner, so that you can work it out with him. So I call him up, and I'm like, hi, I was told to call you. I've got this daughter in kindergarten, and we're going to be pulling her out to go on this family trip. And I'm just wondering, how do I get that excused? Because, well, have you had a visit from the police officer yet? I'm like, no, how do I avoid that? I'm like, that's why I'm calling you. And I explained what we were doing and what we were about, and he says, okay. He says, don't worry about it. If you get a visit, just tell him what you told me, 
And he says, honestly, I wish every kid in the district had a family like yours. I get choked up when I think about that. Because what you are giving your children has eternal significance. And you will not look back and regret that time you had with them when you had that opportunity. There may come a time where you will feel like it's time to change things up, like I have. And that's fine, because God knows best what they need and when they need it. One of the, one of the key principles that I have become all about is this jackrabbit factor concept. And let me tell you what that is. So at one of these events that we were going to before our breakthrough, we used to listen to people who had been very successful try to explain these principles. And they each had their own way of trying to describe it. And we're just trying to glean and understand it. We hadn't quite put it all together. But I remember one time listening to a man by the name of Jonathan. And he was very successful. And he, he was addressing somebody who was feeling bad and frustrated because their family didn't understand why they were going to events, staying up late, talking to mentors, why they were spending money on trips to seminars. It just looked crazy to their family. And they're like, I don't know what to do because I'm getting a lot of flack for what we're doing in order to try to put this lifestyle together, whether it's to keep mom home from work or to be able to retire and serve or whatever the goal was. And he said, have you ever seen a dog chasing a rabbit? And I don't know what their answer was, but can you imagine a dog chasing a rabbit? What does that look like? Chaos. Just jumping, darting, right? Barking. What would you think of the dog if you couldn't see the rabbit? And he's like, don't worry about what people think. They just can't see your rabbit. And I would say that to you as homeschoolers, too. How many of you have encountered someone who thinks you're crazy? <laughs> Family members, right? Friends. Um, you kind of are careful about who you talk to about it, right? They see a crazy dog jumping and barking. And they don't see your rabbit, but you're chasing this rabbit. You're chasing this vision of what your family can become and who your children can be, right? So when they don't understand, it's because they just don't see the vision you have. And it's okay. It's okay. So here's the thing. I chewed on that analogy for years. In the moment, it helped me feel better about the crazy things my husband and I were doing. I remember we were so hungry for knowledge and so hungry to learn what these people knew that we would, at the time when we lived in Provo, I remember finding an insomniac in our ward who was willing to watch my baby overnight so that we could... <laughs> that my baby would sleep, you know. And so, but we did find what we needed, right? And this was so that we could drive from Provo to Ogden for a 10 o'clock meeting with a mentor, 10 p.m. Crazy. Crazy. What is that, two hours away? Something like that, from Provo to Ogden? Somebody knows. Two hours. 
Well, we sit there and talk to him until like 1 in the morning. And then it's time to come home. So we come home at 3. And then before we get home, we have to go clean the office buildings that we were contracted to clean as one of our jobs. And so this is what we're doing. We are jumping and barking like crazy at this rabbit that we see. We're doing whatever it takes, whatever it takes to have the family, the family life that we were trying to build. And crazy stuff. So it helped me during those years that we were being crazy, to not worry about what people thought. But then later, it took on a whole different level. I kind of thought this through, and I think it was uh, those questions, the prompting that comes to you that gets you pondering and chewing on things because there is more epiphanies for you to discover if you'll just ponder. And that was this. Imagine, and I'll just kind of tell you what the book turned into. It turned into this story where a man is on a path in the wilderness somewhere. He's on a path and he sees this dog just jumping around and he thinks it must be crazy until it stumbled onto the path with a rabbit in its mouth. And he's like, oh, I get it. I get it. Now I understand. Well, someone behind him sees this and he's like, ooh, I want a rabbit. So he goes out into the field and starts jumping and barking. Jumping and barking. Thinking that will produce a rabbit. Think about that for a second. This is how we were approaching our goal setting. This is how we were trying to change our life. We go to these events and we take notes on step one, set up so many presentations. Step two, say this to open it. Say this, say that, say this, say this, say this. And when you close, say this. And then set up another point. It was step by step. Here's what you do to get a sale. Or here's what you do to achieve this lifestyle. And I had heard these speakers say things like, if you just do what I did, you'll get what I have. But we do what they did, and we wouldn't get what they have. We were jumping and barking instead of chasing a rabbit. Kind of deep. Kind of deep. But here's the case in point. One thing that we've been told is if you just show a hundred presentations, you will get the status of $2,000 a month residual income. We're like, oh, we can do that. So I created a card, a big card, with a hundred squares, and I bought little smiley face stickers. And every time we showed a presentation, I filled in one of the squares, because I knew that when that whole thing was full, we'd be making $2,000 a month. Oh, and they said, because nobody in this organization has done that without making $2,000 a month. I don't know if that's true, but that's what they told us. <laughs> now that I think about it, I'm like, how do they even know that? But I believe them. And uh, so we filled out that card, got to the end, and we weren't making any more than when we started. And I thought, we are the first people in the history of this organization to show 100 presentations and not be making any more money. I thought, there's something wrong with us. We were jumping and barking. Here's the difference. What was my goal? Somebody say it out loud. 100 presentations. Everybody else, you know what their goal is? No, it's what they were going to spend it on. They were already living what they were going to use the money for. It wasn't about the $2,000, and it wasn't about the 100 presentations. They had spotted their rabbit. They were chasing a rabbit. They showed presentations because the rabbit jumped that way, and they knew that to chase it meant showing another presentation. 
It was instinct. This is what instinct is. You get a vision for what you're trying to accomplish with your family. You get a vision for the kind of reunions you're going to have when they are grown and married with children. You imagine that reunion, or you imagine how you're going to feel on that last day of your life and you reflect back on what you did with your family. You imagine it. You feel it. And when you imagine it and feel it, you will instinctively know where to jump. It will become instinctive. When you don't know what to do with that one child who's struggling, imagine them happy. Imagine them thriving. See them as responsible, functioning, happy adults. If you can see that, take a minute to see it on the screen of your mind and feel the joy that you have in them. It changes you so that your next step becomes inspired and instinctive. You have to be careful not to make decisions on what you're going to do with your children based on an image of fear or disaster because those will not be inspired, instinctive choices that lead you to an outcome that you want. It might keep you rolling, but more than that, it very likely can lead you to the disaster you're trying to avoid. I learned that from hard experience. So, yeah. I'm going to homeschool. I'm going to have a happy successful homeschool. But it's hard for me to visualize what that looks like because I'll hear different methods and philosophies and I'll visualize that mm-hmm. and be like, ooh, this sounds really good. And then I'll hear a different philosophy that's very different and be like, ooh, that sounds good too. And then I have the Tevia syndrome, which is like, you write and you write, they can't right. right. You're also right. Yeah. And that's how I feel with my homeschool a lot. Or like, they're all right, and they are. Okay, so this is really easy. This is really easy. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> because what you're trying to visualize from what I'm hearing from you is you're trying to visualize how you want this homeschool experience to look. And that could be a hundred different possibilities. Why are you homeschooling? Because God told me to, and I was like, okay. So you're homeschooling. <laughs> Because God told you to and you're obedient. Okay? So what do you think his vision is for your family 20 years from now? No, hang on, hang on. Are you going to still be homeschooling in 20 years? That's what I'm asking for. What does that look like? What, that's your opportunity to create that vision. And if you can't see the vision of it, what you can do, and here's the default answer for any of these, because this zooms out far enough that it captures everything. Imagine yourself on the last day of your life. You know this is the day you're going to pass. And you're there, and you're surrounded by loved ones. And you are reflecting back on your life. And you might not see the life right now, what that's going to look like. But... You can decide how you want to feel. I would take time, even tonight, every one of you, before you fall asleep, take five minutes to lay in bed and imagine that is your deathbed and you are feeling so amazed and grateful at what God accomplished through you. You don't even have to know what it is, but you can have that sense that he accomplished something amazing through me. 
and I'm so grateful that I got to be a part of that. I am so honored and humbled. And look at what he did. Look at what he did because I was willing to move my feet. And you don't even have to have an image of what those are, but you can picture yourself being in that bed. You can imagine yourself looking at your spouse and saying, look at what we did. Look at what we were able to do. Look at the joy. Feel joy. Feel joy there. Your children may choose paths that stress you out, right? They just might. And very likely at times will for all of us. And it's when we are in the middle of that and we're worried about, oh my gosh, if he keeps that up, he's going to be in jail, you know. And we're picturing the worst case scenario, he'll never get married or whatever it might be. But everybody has got a path. Everybody has a journey. Everybody has unseen help guiding them in that journey. Everyone, even those who don't think they have it, they have it. And so if I were you, I would imagine myself on that last day saying, what an amazing ride that was, that even though they wandered sometimes, or even though things didn't look pretty sometimes, we're here together, everybody is well and happy. And here's the thing, we don't imagine other people being or doing a certain thing, because that's kind of like a mental manipulation that we just stay away from. But you can imagine them in their best possible outcome, not to change them, not to manipulate them, not to control them, but so that you are responding from that energy of possibility and of hope and patience and love. Do you feel like you can create an image of that last day and how you want to feel? When you do that, when you do that and you feel it, you only have to feel it for a split second, but if you can acknowledge that you felt it from that place, consider the different homeschooling methods and see which one resonates most with you. Because in that place, you will be in an inspired, instinctive decision, preparation to make a wise decision. Kate, you're nodding. I want to hear what you're thinking right now because you've been practicing this. You've seen this work, haven't you? Yeah, I was just thinking about, uh, remember the very first time that Liz and I tried to create a picture and feel it. And we were creating this picture and it was so far-fetched in our mind. It was like so, 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 like this is crazy impossible. We could not feel any feelings. But that moment, like I could feel that moment when we felt the feeling of what that would be like. Inspiration totally changes. It's completely different when you feel the picture. So we were like, you were talking about your little fourplex with your smoke coming through the vent. Like we had this tiny little apartment, a little nasty, like the carpet. I, I my day was calling down on it, and it's just not so bad. I thought like he's gonna pick up the from this. Anyway, we barely could cover our bills. We had this goal of tripling our income, like you did, and we were like. millionaires basically <laughs> <laughs> and, and the moment that we felt it it's just it's an incredible experience to feel something for real before it actually happens take incredible mental energy but it changes everything and then we did it it worked and I just now you're millionaires I'm millionaires <laughs> <laughs> anyway just feeling it is hard hard but it's eas
you have to look at the alternative. How long do we want to suffer and struggle? Can somebody pull open ether? And there are many phases, so extremely strong, even before Christ came. We could not be kept from the bell. So I hope this is giving you some some hope that the struggles you face, I mean we're gonna have struggles throughout our life. It's part of what helps us grow. But it's a tool that we can use at appropriate times to make sure that the decision we make next is inspired. Because going back to prayer, when I change my prayers to imagining how it feels to say, honey, I just paid that bill, now we can go do this thing that we wanted to do, or whatever it might be, and imagining it and feeling it as though I'm actually saying it. And then in my prayer saying, thank you for helping us have what we need to pay that bill. Thank you for the money you've sent. Try past tense. That's super powerful too. Thank you for the opportunity you sent us. If you look throughout the, especially the Old Testament, how many times God says, and I have given you the Midianites into your hands, and the battle hadn't even begun. If you think about why did Adam call her Eve, she is the mother, and yet she hadn't had a single baby yet. Some people feel like, oh, I'm, I feel like I'm lying if I say this has happened, but it hasn't happened. It's just called telling the truth in advance. God does it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so, with that, I just want to leave you with one more thought, and this is a new epiphany for me. You're one of the first groups to hear me say this. And that is, I took a break from my work around 2012 because I was just run really ragged. First of all, the recession hit us pretty good because we had been doing really well, money was flowing better than it ever had before, and we were investing in real estate at the top of the market. So when it tanked, it just pulled the rug right out from under us, and I'm like, oh dear, this is bad. We're worse off than we were when we first got married. But the difference is we know what to do. It's just hard. It's hard. And um, it was a very humbling experience, and we it was part of the problem was that Every time I'm like, I'm so tired, I felt like God was telling me, keep teaching. You don't make the principles true or false by how well you're living them. <laughs> and so I would put on another event and just force myself through it. I think you were probably at one where I was really just forcing myself through it. And at the end, you know, everybody's telling me how it changed their life, or I'm getting emails, or I'm getting letters. So I would keep blogging, I would keep blogging. And as I was writing in my blog, most of the time it was coaching me on how I knew I was supposed to think based on these principles, especially in hidden treasures. There's seven laws in there that if you don't know how to think about something that happens, you check with the laws and you're like, ooh, that one helps me stay in the right mindset right now. And so I was coaching myself through those ups and downs, and some of my best articles came out of the worst experiences because I would test them and find out that they were still true. But I got tired and I finally decided I needed to stop and I didn't bother asking this time if it was okay. I wasn't interested in knowing if he thought it was okay. I was just so done. And it took me about two weeks to 
to finally be a little bit open to, um, or am I still okay? You know, are you still okay with me even though I'm taking a break? The words that came to my mind was, it's complete. And I thought, really? You mean it's really okay? So I took a break, and we healed for about four or five years. And it's only been recently that I've kind of come back to this. But part of my struggle was balancing work and family. I've never wanted a career. Remember, I wanted to be just a stay-at-home mom. But this message was so big and so important. I felt like I felt like I would be ungrateful if I didn't try to share it. And honestly, if I had learned them without suffering first for so long, I wouldn't have felt compelled to share it. I would have just been cool. Life's better. Moving on, you know. But there's this, this piece of me that has felt a passion to share it with as many people as I can. And that's why all three of my books are free downloads. You can tell your friends. You can just go download them for free. JackRabbitFactor.com is the first free one. JackRabbitFactor.com. That's the story. Hidden Treasures is a free download. It's at HiddenTreasuresBooks.com. And then, I don't have time to share this story here, but... <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know what I have. What's that? Okay. Oh, God. I told you I've got 4,527 things. So, do you want the third book story first? And then we'll open it up. Okay. Well, I didn't tell you this thing yet. Uh, this is just a real quick nugget before I go back to the third book thing. So what I've learned recently, you know, I was trying to juggle work and family, homeschooling, and always feeling torn. Like I felt like I had to write some of these things that were on my heart while my kids are saying, where's dinner? You know, I have a daughter who now cooks because I wasn't. <laughs> She's on a mission, though, so we're, we're, barely, we're barely holding on, but no. So this, this wrestle, like, oh, but I feel like I need to do this work in the business, and I feel like I need to take care of my kids, and why does it have to be this struggle? And one time I heard a woman say something that helped me through that time, and she said, if you're standing on both feet and you're perfectly balanced, try going somewhere. <laughs> You know what? You do this. And she said, you focus on your family. And then when your business needs your attention, you focus on your business until your family needs your attention. And be okay with that rhythm. I'm like, okay, that works. I can do that. But it still wasn't easy. And here's my recent epiphany in the last couple months. So I started working at the baptistry at the Gilbert Temple every Wednesday. I've been doing that now for about a year. And it's six hours in the middle of the day, in the middle of the week, where I just have to stop and be still and serve. And with the kind of pace I had developed in my life, this was a big shift. But after a while, I thought, you know what, I really kind of enjoy this mundane not needing to think thing. Just being told what to do and doing it with a smile. I like this. This is great. And I thought, maybe, maybe my next thing, I could do anything I want. What do I want to be when I grow up? I could, I could go be a nurse. That would be cool. You know, and I just started daydreaming again. One thought that came to my mind is, why don't you 
look at being maybe an office lady at your kid's school, because now they're at a charter school, which is a miracle. We found a place that was like home for us, so that's where they are now, which has freed me up more to do more of this, but I thought, what if I could just be an office lady at their school? Then I'd see them around. I could be that one that knows all the kids, and, and, and that was just kind of a fun thought. And I chewed on that for a while. And within a month or so, I told a friend who had something to do with that organization. And I got a phone call saying, we have an opening. Do you want to come be an office lady? And I'm like, oh, wait, what does this mean? And I'm looking at the hours, like full time. And I'm looking at the pay, probably 12 to 1600 a month. And I'm looking at what's on my calendar, like the events that I've already scheduled that I would have to cancel or ask for time off work. And, and all of a sudden, I realized, wait a minute, and the office might not be the same kind of environment that I'm experiencing six hours a week <laughs> at the temple. The relationships, there might be drama there. There might be, there's probably problems with the students. And then I felt like, in the back of my head, with this reminder, look at what I've taught you the last 25 years. Look at what you've learned. Is this how you want to spend your time? And it became very clear to me that, no, I want to share what I've learned. There are still people that need to know how this works. There are still families that are suffering. There are still moms who want to come home from work. There are still students in college that are looking for a career that they can be successful in. Whatever the case may be, there are people that need this information, and I feel like it would have been a colossal waste of a gift that had been given to me to not. And that's when I made the decision. And with that decision, it dawned on me that to minister or to serve or to, you know, like I had been taught to do at the temple, to nurture and to edify and to lift and to show gratitude and appreciation for people around me is something that I do, not just at the temple, but that I do in my family and that I do with my subscribers and my readers and my customers and my clients and whatnot, and that when I wake up in the morning, I can say, okay, Heavenly Father, I am going to work for you. What can I do today to serve your children? And it might be my daughter. And it might be that client. And it might be that person who doesn't even know about my book yet. Or it might be someone in my neighborhood that needs help that has nothing to do with my family or my work. That it doesn't matter anymore that I serve one master. It's not work and family. It's one work and one master. Does this make any sense? So I'm not having to reference to one to the other. I just check in and say, what can I do today to serve? And what I found is that with these principles and understanding them and trying my best to live in harmony with them, he continues to provide us everything we need for us to fulfill our purpose. And I feel like my purpose is to serve my family, to serve my readers or anyone else who needs this information, to serve those in my neighborhood or in my church that I am here to serve. And if I keep my focus on that service, everything else will work itself out. Now, it's easier for me to do that now that I've put systems in place with my business that are automated. Like, I can send someone to the free download site, and I know that it's serving them, and I have time with my family. That didn't take any of my time up. But that was my focus. I spent a lot of years trying to create systems that would 
serve people without my presence. So, one master, as you are raising your family, you're serving them, you're guiding them, you're teaching them, and as you learn and understand these principles, you can trust that not only will we have an innate desire to learn everything we need to know to fulfill our mission, but we'll be given everything we need resource-wise to fulfill our mission, as long as our thoughts, feelings, and desires and actions are all lined up because he's here waiting for us to get it right. He's like, you go set that goal. You go make that happen. You pray for that. But picture it done. Feel it as though it's done. Be grateful. Ask for it. Get to work. And it's all there for you. This concludes today's episode of the Rare Faith Podcast. You've been listening to Leslie Householder, author of The Jackrabbit Factor, Portal to Genius, and Hidden Treasures, Heaven's Astonishing Help with Your Money Matters. All three books can be downloaded free at a rarekindoffaith.com. So tell your friends and join Leslie again next time as she goes even deeper into the principles that will help you change your life.